G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. He will make all grace abound to you. And he who blesses the seed and gives the seed will give you more generously, knowing that you're going to give what he sends your way for the sake of the gospel. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. And in this episode of Today with Jeff Vines, Pastor Jeff is preaching about radical generosity. It's part of the Blessed Life series. Pastor Jeff is speaking from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, sharing how God wants to bless every area of our lives. After all, he is a radically generous God. Here's Pastor Jeff with the message. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. I was reading this week, guys, about a lady who uh, older lady comes out of her front door of her home every morning and she just first thing lifts her hands to heaven and says, praise the Lord. I thought it's a cool story. Every morning. I also learned she lives next door to an atheist. So every morning she comes out and says, praise the Lord. And he says, shut up and get back in the house. There is no God. And I thought, man, that's kind of, it's kind of rough. And I read the story said that there came a time in the lady's life that she was kind of going through a difficult time with the economy and uh, she prayed loud after she said, praise the Lord. She says, Lord, I, I'm, I'm a little short on groceries and food. I, I, I need some help, but praise you, Lord, and went back in the house. Next morning, she got back up, her regular routine. She came out and she said, praise the Lord. And she looked down and there were groceries everywhere. And she said, praise the Lord. And the atheist was hiding behind the bush and says, aha, I put those groceries on your step. There is no God. <laughs> And she said, praise you, Lord, and smiled and said, not only did you provide for me, but you made Satan pay for it. God bless you. I kind of read that story. I thought, that's kind of funny right there. Now, now look, let me talk to you a little bit here. We've, we've been talking a lot, I don't know if you've noticed, about money. And uh, I can always tell when I'm talking about money. I get the most emails. <laughs> Because I can talk to you about anything at all except your money. That's just the, that's the rule of pastors, right? Talk to me about anything else, it's fine. But if you start talking about money, pastor, you're meddling in an area that's none of your business. Now, let me say something to you. This whole series is not about money. As a matter of fact, this is the last sermon in the series that focuses on our stuff. But there are seven total sermons. So that means there's four more to go. The blessed life is about far more than your stuff. I know that. There's a lot of you right here in this audience thinking, man, forget about the money. I would, I would feel like I had a blessed life if, if I was just well. 
If this, this, this ailment that I'm fighting would just go, I'd consider myself blessed. I'd consider myself blessed if my marriage could be restored because right now it's in a bad, bad way. Some of you think, man, if I could just have a child. I've met many moms who just tell me, or not moms, but wannabe moms who say, you know, I wish God, if he would just open up my womb and I could have a child, that'd be a blessed life to me. I don't ask for a lot. I just want a child. Some of you want your kids who you're estranged from to return home. You know, the blessed life, I know that. And that's why that we're going to talk a lot more about a lot of other things other than just our stuff. But here's why I spent three weeks, and this is the third, talking about your relationship to your stuff. And it's because of this. It's because there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude toward it into God's hands. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Word for word, no. But here's how he said it and communicated it. He talked more about your money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And you know why? Because he knew. Think about it. What is most precious to you? Your cash. Come on now. I mean, we'll fight for that. And we think somebody's done us wrong or cheated us, man, we get fired up. Jesus knew that your relationship to God is going to change your relationship to your stuff. And he went one step further, that your relationship to your stuff will speak volumes about the depth of your relationship to God. And that's why I wanted to spend a few weeks on that before we moved on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you to a passage today in 2 Corinthians 9 that JP read earlier that I have struggled with. So you can take a kind of a, a deep breath and think, finally, he's going to turn his attention off of me and onto himself for a bit. And that's kind of what I'm going to do because this is a passage I've struggled with all my life and it's a passage I don't do well. It's a passage that forces me to ask four questions about my life. And I'm going to ask those four questions and I'm going to walk you through this. And we're going to get to do what we call expository teaching today. We're only going to deal with one passage and I'm going to take you through it verse by verse because it's a passage that is revealing about who I am, about who you are. And I hope that you'll ask the same questions of yourself that I've asked about myself and that hopefully you'll come to some different conclusions. So here's how Paul starts this passage. He says this, and remember, this is written to the church at Corinth. This is the first book written in your New Testament. Now, it's not the first book recorded, but date-wise, this would have been the first one written. And he says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that brings to eye the first question, which is this, what really drives me? What gets me going? What causes the blood to just surge through my veins? What gets my heart rate up and pumping fast? What is it that really pumps me up? Does this squirrel look like he's pumped up to you? I thought, is this, is he? I think he does for me. <laughs> I love this photo I found. What really gets me going? And I've had to ask myself, and here's the reason. Here's what Paul is doing. He's using an example of agriculture, and he's saying, look at this. These little apple seeds, man, you can barely see these things. I've got like 15 in my hand. Here's one. And yet if you put it into the ground, you get this beautiful tree on the screen behind me. And it's huge, and it's glorious. And there, one little seed can produce so much of a harvest. Matter of fact, you know what these are, guys? Avocados. I did not know they existed until I moved to California five years ago. We don't have avocados in the South. And if we did, we would fry it. But 
I didn't know, I did not know the avocado exists. I, found, I discovered avocado. These are beautiful. These are, this is a gift from God, man. This is probably your greatest contribution as a California to the world. Avocados. Now I put these things on every sandwich, everything I eat, I pile it on. And I just discovered, like a month ago, that guacamole is just avocado smashed up. I thought there were two different things. And so, what a beautiful little fruit to put into the ground and then grows into a beautiful avocado tree. And here's the point. As I think about this agricultural example, I've really had to come to terms with my life and what really makes me tick and what I'm passionate about. Because here's the reality. Unless I'm passionate about a full harvest, I don't care about this verse that unless you sow generously, you won't reap generously. Unless I really want to reap generously, I don't care about sowing. My dad, I've been thinking a lot about him this week. My birthday is August 29th. It was this past Thursday. You can send belated gift to, to the office. Uh, my dad died on my birthday two, days, two, uh, two years ago. And so I've been thinking a lot about my dad. My dad loved to grow tomatoes. He could grow some of the largest tomatoes you've ever seen. And I think he got a little bit of his security and sense of purpose out of it because every harvest year he would take these tomatoes to the little small church we attended and he'd give them out and people would just line up and they talked about Dean Vines tomato vines. It was amazing. And he'd grow these huge tomatoes. One year he just got carried away. I can't remember what year it was, but he just wanted to have enough tomatoes for the whole town of our little city of Elizabethan. So he put vines out in the whole garden. Usually it was just green beans and potato, but this year he just went crazy. And it was a good year for growing them. Soil was right. He understood that because he worked in produce and the rains were good, everything. And he grew these huge tomatoes in all these boxes. He forced us because we had... We had tomatoes all over the house that year. It was before air conditioned. So you, you'd put them in the windowsill to ripen them fully and completely. And so they were in every windowsill. They were on the kitchen table. They were on the back of the toilet. They were, in, they were in our clothes and the closets. They were on the front porch. They were everywhere. And my mom just finally had had enough. She said, Dean Vines, if you don't get rid of those tomatoes, I'm going to throw you out of the house. And of course, he did what mom said. And we, he forced us kids. I had three brothers. He forced us to get in the car, each of us with big boxes of tomatoes. He forced us to go to the neighbor's houses, ring the doorbell, drop the box, and run away to give those tomatoes away. It was my dad. I mean, the thing about it is no one had to tell my father to go out in the hot summertime and plant and weed and grow and sow because my dad always wanted a great harvest of tomatoes. And my point is this. I look at how passionate my dad was about that. And I look at this verse when the apostle Paul is talking about reaping and sowing. And I think, my goodness, what is it that drives me? What am I passionate about? Why do I get up in the morning? And man, I find that my attitude is not that good. It's not. Because I'm so distracted by every other thing. I keep sowing seeds that are going to give me no return. Or at least temporary at best. It used to be basketball. I mean, that's what drove me. I woke up thinking about basketball. I went to sleep thinking about basketball. I slept with my Spalding basketball. True story. I dribbled it to school and home again. I was just so enamored. It was what I lived for. Then it was golf. And then I met my wife. And then I had children. I had a family. And all those things still drive me. There's still a great purpose in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, here's what Jesus tells me. That if you've got it, if you really got it, and you understand what the world is about, what your life is about, then your greatest passion, man, the thing that pumps you up, the thing that drives you, is when people who are far from God come near. And that drives you. It's why you get up in the morning. And I read that, and I realize that's not my life. Sometimes, 
Sometimes I'm good at it. But it seems to be the exception more than the rule. I got an email this past week from a couple who attend Saturday night. And it was a long email. And I told you I don't read long emails, but this was a good one. And he was a good writer and he hooked me right away. And I read the whole thing. And the, the premise of the email was this, that he walked in with his wife to the service on a Saturday night. And he said, the first service I attended, I just sat there and I wept the whole service. Oh, wow. And I wanted to know why. You know, was the sermon that bad? Was the music off? What was going on? He said, I came back a few weeks later and the same thing happened. And he said, then it finally dawned on me. The reason I was moved so emotionally is I had finally found what I had been looking for all my life. And my heart started pumping. The blood started going through. My, and I go, yeah, that's what, my, that's what it's about. And I see the look in your eye. You're just like me. I see you when I talk about, for instance, those kids in Nairobi, Kenya. I see how you kind of rate. Yeah, and you get glad. I see what you did when we show this video of what we're going to do for the single moms. I see your eyes. I, see, I know that your heart down deep in there is right. Somewhere you really do live for that. Somewhere it drives you. Somewhere you know you want to live for eternity. The problem is you're like me. And you just have a very difficult time living it out pragmatically every day. Because you get distracted. By things that just don't matter. How can, how can we be helped? How can you and I have that drive and that passion every day? Every day. The first question I always ask myself when I come to this. I am not going to be willing to sow generously into the kingdom of God. Unless I really care that the harvest is great. And I can't just care from time to time. It's got to be a pattern of my life. That every day what pumps me up, what drives me. Is when people who are far from God come near to God. Look at what he says in the next part of this verse. We're dealing with this verse. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody will say, well, there's your New Testament example of tithing. This is not about tithing, folks. This is about a famine that's happening in Macedonia. And the Apostle Paul comes to these people and says, look, I want you to give a gift to these people who are starving, who are struggling in poverty. And he says, I want you to decide between you and God what it is you're going to give to help them. And he says, when you give it, I want you to give it how? Cheerfully. How is that possible? Come on. This is a real world. I told you it's CCV, man. This is just real people around here. Is it hard to part with cash or what? Come on. Man, look, I love the game of golf, but when I have to pay for it, which is most of the time, I don't like it. And that's something I enjoy doing. We just don't like in America parting with our cash because it's not about what we just bought. It's what we could have bought had we kept it. That's how we think. How is it possible? You know, you know who's given me a great example of cheerful giving is Dane Johnson. I don't know if you know him. Dane is one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And he told me that when he came to California, in his own words, he didn't have two nickels to rub together. And he was really, really living in a state of poverty for the first couple of months and then the first couple of years. Eating off the floor of his little apartment. Didn't know if he was going to have enough money to eat the next week. He finally got a job somewhere. And he didn't work for the church at this period. And then for a few years, he found himself one day. I'll never forget when he told me this. He said, uh, Jeff, there came a time when I got a tax bill from the state of California. And it just ruined my week. Uh, he said, just, I was just so upset with it. Because it was so expensive. And he said, but then the Lord did a real number on me. I said, what did the Lord do? He said, well, the Lord made me realize that God had blessed me so much since I'd come to California that I was actually paying more taxes than some people might make. And then the Lord spoke another word, Dane said. He said, 
the Lord told me, Dane, I can make you pay less taxes if you want. <laughs> you with me? How would he do that? <laughs> Robert Morris in this book called The Blessed Life said there came a time in his life when God told him to start giving his car away to a single mom. So he gave his car away. He said, I no sooner gave it away, somebody gave me one. So I gave that away to another single mom. And it just kept going like that. And I kept giving it away. Every time I gave one away, I got another one. So I decided to start, I decided to start this uh, ministry for single moms. We're going to give a car to single moms so that they can, and we're going to work on them. We're going to fuel them up. We're going to make sure moms have transportation. He said, then one guy, about a year after this ministry started, gave him a car. And it was three days between the guy, the time the guy gave him the car, the donor, and the time the recipient would receive the car. He had to keep it over the weekend. And during the time it was in his possession, it broke down. And he said, I got mad at God. I said, why couldn't it break down while the donor had it or after I gave it to the recipient? Why does it have to break down when I have it? So I have to put a new engine in it. And Robert Moore says, God spoke to me. It was very plain. He said, because I planned it this way. The giver did not have the money to repair the car. The recipient did not have the money to repair the car. But I blessed you and you've got the money to repair it. So I gave it to you. And then he finished this chapter in the book by saying, God said this to him. Son, you should be grateful I blessed you financially and that I blessed you with the privilege of putting a new engine in the vehicle for the family. And then the Lord gave me a gentle warning saying this. Now, if you're tired of being a blessing to others, I can certainly direct those resources to somebody else. You see the point? The cheerful heart comes when you know, number one, that you're making a difference in somebody's life. That somebody who was dead is now alive. That somebody can now live. That somebody can now grow. That somebody can now be rescued. That you're making a difference. Somebody that had no hope in a future has hope in a future because you are sowing generously. That someone is saved, someone is redeemed, someone is restored, somebody has their life totally changed because you said, you know what, I want a great harvest. And because I want a great harvest, I'm going to sow generously. And that just fires you up that you could make a difference for eternity and go past what is temporary. But the problem is, if you're like me, it doesn't fire you up often enough. Just from time to time when the pastor mentions it. What's wrong with us? I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not, there's no judgment here and I'm not being critical. I'm saying, what is wrong with us? What do you, is it that, and I, I sometimes I think, God, is it even possible to be a Christ follower in, in America today? Because we don't look anything like that first church that was so radically generous, man, that they permeated and penetrated the entire Roman Empire and they became Christ followers because they looked at these Christians and said, man, they are so radically generous. They give everything away. That's not me. That is not me. Is that you? I mean, I talk a good game. I do. I mean, yeah, I'm a tither. We're talking about, but we're talking about going past that into, into having such a passion to sow generously into the kingdom to reap a great harvest. And that's not me. You know how I know it's not me? Just straight up with you. Because if it was really me, my wife and I would sell our house, downsize, and live as simply as possible to give the rest of it away. We've talked about it. But I just can't pull the trigger. Why? Because I, like you, have been inundated with the American marketers. And I'm told that unless I have this, this, and this, I won't be happy. When in reality, that's the thing that's making me not happy. Because it's never enough. I'm struggling with this in my own life. I've always thought being a tither, well, hey, that makes me good with God. And then I read this, Paul says, wait a minute. Have you ever asked yourself, what drives you? What, is you, what are you most passionate about? And if I walked with you, Jeff Vines, and I looked at your life, would that be 
what I would find, what you say you're driven and what you get fired up about and passionate about. And I know in my heart and my mind, no. No, it's not. Sometimes, but not all that. Listen, folks, you know why everybody's hopping on the Dodger bandwagon? Thought about this? Oh, yeah. Everybody's on the Dodger band. When I first came here, I told you that I had a decision to make. I grew up as a Dodger fan. Steve Garvey, you know, Bill Russell, Davey Lopes, Ron Say, Steve Yeager, Dusty Baker, there were a lot. Man, Tommy Lasorda grew up listening to the Dodger games on a little blue transistor radio with one little earplug. <laughs> Big Dodger fan. But when I came and moved to California, I realized I was going to have to make a choice between the Dodgers and the Angels. And the reason I chose the Angels is because I wanted to be able to go to a stadium without getting killed. <laughs> And I said, I said, I, I said, I, w- I want to be a baseball fan and I want to be a big baseball fan. and I want to take my wife and kids to the stadium. So I'll, let's be angel fans. That we don't have to worry about not coming back from a baseball game. <laughs> but I want to tell you, you Dodger fans, I was wrong. Here's what I've discovered. The safest place in America is Dodger Stadium if you have a Dodger shirt on. <laughs> Because if somebody messes with you, you got 40,000 people going to come and take up for you. These guys are loyal to each other. And I've realized you've got to be an idiot to wear any other thing than Dodger Blue to Dodger Stadium. Your life is in your own hands. But if you wear a Dodger shirt, man, you are good to go. <laughs> now, here's what else I've discovered. Think about what we're paying these guys to play this game. Think about what we pay them and think about what we pay our teachers. It's amazing, isn't it? But when I say we, I mean we. I do it too. This place is selling out. I thought we were having a tough economy. Place is sold out. Not only do they pay heaps of money for the ticket, folks, it's five bucks for a Dodger dog. Let's let's face it. It might be good. It ain't that good. (laughs) And I can't believe that people will come and pay this money. Then they'll get a hot dog. This guy's probably sitting on 15 bucks here. And the problem is, I do the same thing. I've been going to Dodger games because my friend Anthony McMahon has gotten us some tickets and we go together and ask him. First thing I do, where's my Dodger dog? Give me that Dodge coat. Give me some of that caramel corn. Oh, I'll have some of that ice cream. I have no trouble partying with my cash as long as it's for me. No trouble at all. Which shows that what drives me isn't what should drive me all the time. And I ask myself over and over, I think the reason, folks, that we are so bandwagon type people is because, listen, we all want to be part of something successful. Come on, that's why everybody's hopping on the Dodger bandwagon. We want to be part of something that's winning. And we think somehow that as fans, we've got a part to play in this. Somehow it's because of our fanhood that they're doing so well, right? We want to be part of something that's so successful. And the reality is, folks, There's nothing more successful than the kingdom of God. It lasts forever. Dodger Blue may be done by the end of October. Maybe by the end of September. You never know. Maybe by the next year it'll be a whole... You see what I'm saying? We are so willing to invest in things that are temporary here and now. But the kingdom of God is not shakable, the Bible says. It is a city that will last forever. And you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. And if we really believe that, if I really believe that, if we believed it together, man, we would sow generously because we know we would reap generously and nothing would motivate us like that. I got to change and you got to change. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. 
Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. The one who gives us resources, seed, to sow. If you go about the business of sowing, you're not only going to reap a great harvest and you're going to sow more. He's going to take care of your daily needs. Bread always stands for those daily needs. What you need will be supplied. And he's going to increase your store of seed. He's going to give you more seed because he knows if he does that, you're going to continue to sow seed and the harvest of your righteousness is going to get greater and greater. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.